0: We are in this series on abundant living, and we've been talking about what it looks like to live in the abundance that Christ made available to us. Just because it's available to you doesn't mean you're accessing it. The richness and the abundance that's in Christ What does it look like to, in relationship to the others, what does it look like to live out of the overflow of grace that's extended to you from your heavenly father? Scripture says his mercies are new every morning. Every single day you look in your own account, your, your soul, and, 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 and his forgiveness has been flooded to you and his mercy has been flooded to you and his grace has been flooded to you. And how does that change the way you treat the people in your world? And if it does not, then you have not accessed that which has been made available to you. There are people that live in a world where their parents do not know how to love them well. There are people that live in, 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 in a world where they don't know that they are forgiven, that they don't know that they are loved, that they don't know that there is grace, and they claw their ways, their way through life, but you... If your heart understands that you have a heavenly father who said this, who made a commitment, no matter how bad you mess up, no matter how nasty you become, he said, I will never, ever leave your side. You can't get rid of me. I will never stop loving you. I will never forsake you. That's what he said. And and that's got to change the way we walk around on a planet full of people, so today I want to talk to you about humility. I want to talk to you about how humility is absolutely critical to making room for the richness of God in your life. Now, I knew that I wanted to to talk about the story of Naaman, and I knew that that's where I wanted to go. And most of the times when I when I'll prepare a message, I will just hone in on that passage and read it, and do look at commentaries, and and let. Rabbit trails happen where they will, but I gotta confess something to you. In the in the spirit of full disclosure, I I gotta tell you that that uh, I went to my favorite authors, to David Benner, to Henry Nown. I listened to my favorite speakers like Rick Warren, to T.D. Jakes. I jacked this entire message from all of those people, all right? I could tell you that I was inspired by all of those people, but quite frankly, all of the main points of this talk, somebody else thought of. I dare say there is not going to be an original thought in this entire talk, but then again, I'm not sure I've had original thought for a long time, so, so we'll just put that out there and uh, it is what it is. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 5, it's really good. If you've never read the story, it's it's really, really quite powerful. It's quite short. It's really just a, a paragraph. Now, Naaman, and he's the central figure in this narrative. Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Syria, or Aram, depending on your translation. He was a great man in the sight of the master. Highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but Naaman was a leper. This is a story about a man with a problem. In fact, this is a story about a man with a really big problem. Some of you have walked into this place tonight and you have a problem. You have a problem. And to you, it is an enormous problem. And as big as the problem is in your life, and I'm not, I don't want to, to in any way belittle or demean your pain, but I will tell you that I think Naaman's problem is as big as your problem. And when we look at, at the narrative, we see something extraordinary in it. We see that somewhere in the middle of Naaman's big, big problem, God had hidden a treasure and Naaman didn't know it was there until we get to the end of his story, or at least this chapter of his story. And in the same way, I want you to hear something tonight. I want you to know that God has hidden a treasure right smack dab in the middle of the problem that, 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 that threatens to steal your peace, your joy, and your future. There is a treasure hidden in there. And most of the time we don't see it. You want to know why? Because we are only looking at the pain that comes from our problem. But in this moment of discomfort, I want you to know there is a treasure in your problem. Naaman was the commander of the army of Syria. He led thousands of men into battle again and again. Naaman was great and Naaman was fearless. He was absolutely revered by the men that followed him. He was in, the the, the king that he served was indebted to him. And the people of Syria were in awe of Naaman. Naaman was a great man. He was highly regarded. His, his, His armor and his headdress distinguished him clearly from the rest of the army when, when, when a platoon of men would go through town, and, or he would go through town in his entourage, everybody knew who the commander-in-chief was because he was just majestic. He walked with authority. With a word, he could command thousands of men to do his bidding. And in the, in the, in the nation of Syria, second to the king, he was the most powerful man in the country. Naaman was a national hero. He wasn't a celebrity because he had a pretty face and he sang a great song. He was a hero and he earned his name and he earned his respect. You see, he was the tip of the Syrian army. He was the tip of the spear in the Syrian army because he was the one that led them into battle again and again. And the scripture tells us that with his sword, he liberated Syrians from Israel. So Naaman was mighty, and Naaman was valiant, and Naaman was respected, and Naaman was revered, but Naaman was a leper. There's always a butt. Everybody in here's got a butt. Technically, you have two butts. The one with two T's you just sit on. You don't use it that much. It just looks awesome in a good pair of jeans. (laughs) But the other butt, the other butt can destroy you. The other butt can steal from you your passion, your dream, your calling. It it can become a black hole that sucks it all in the other butt. Gideon had a butt. Gideon is this guy, and God Himself. So he sends an angel, and an angel of God gives Gideon a, a calling, and Gideon receives this divine impartation, this divine calling to go out and liberate his people from the um, Mennonites. No, no, no. <laughs> from the Midianites. <laughs> now, yeah, sorry about that. If you're a Mennonite. Uh, they, To set them free from the Mennonites and um, and, and 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 but Gideon was born in the wrong caste. Gideon was the least significant person in his family, and his family was the least significant family in the tribe, and the tribe was the least significant tribe in the nation. And when you're born to the wrong family and the wrong caste, it's a big butt. Joseph, he's pregnant with a dream, a divine dream that's gonna save thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. But he was bullied. He was bullied. Have you been bullied? You know what you know you know what psychologically that does to you when you are bullied your whole childhood and he was bullied by his brothers who despised him and this is bullying when your brothers sell you that's bullying they they tried to kill you but they decide not to so they just sell you now that's that takes bullying to a whole new level a but is a contradiction and every one of us in this room has a but there's a contradiction to your story. Some of you walked in here, and you have a secret. Oh, God. And you keep that secret hidden. And some of you in this room, you have a pain. And others are terrified. You have a fear. And some of you are, are, have a past. And you're doing everything in your power. You, no matter what word is given over you, your but is, I have a past. But I have a secret but I have an addiction, but I have, but I have. And for some of you, your but is the biggest thing in your life. You know, um, I, just recently I was talking to a man who's in his 50s, and he is a, an alcoholic. He's a raging alcoholic. And when I asked him, how do you get here? How, how do you get to this place of such utter despair? He told me that when he was 30 years old, so 20 years ago, he had such a tender heart towards the Lord, such a tender love for God. And he believed with all of his heart that the Lord was calling him to go into the pastorate, to go into the ministry. And he belonged to a tiny church in a tiny community in northern B.C. And, and the pastor that, that was the pastor of his church, he saw the gift in the man. And he encouraged him and, 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 and breathed life into the man. And gave him opportunity in their little community church to, to, to use his gift. But the man could not stop smoking. This sounds so simple, so silly, doesn't it? He, was a, he couldn't kick his addiction to nicotine. And there were other leaders in that tiny little congregation who said that you cannot be a spiritual leader in this little community because you got a ball and chain that you can't get rid of. Your butt is too big. He was so discouraged. He was so hurt. And his butt got bigger and bigger and bigger until it swallowed up his dream. And without a sense of calling, knowing that he had let that thing go, knowing that that thing would never be fulfilled, he climbed into a bottle, and that's where he's been for the last 20 years. In absolute despair. Naaman had a butt. He had a secret. And if, if, if the world around him found out, he could lose everything. And this is really relevant to you and me today. This is really relevant because, you see, you, you, you clean up so nice. You smell so good when you leave the house. And you know how to be proper. And you know how to sell yourself. And you know how to put your armor on. But let me ask you this. What are you hiding underneath your armor? What is it that you are terrified that the rest of the world will find out about? What is the thing that is threatening your future? How is it that we can... In our public lives, be so powerful, and in our private lives be so powerless. How is it that that, that we have so much capacity professionally but personally behind closed doors? We are impotent. How is it that, 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 that in one area of your life you can be so strong and in another you just be so weak? How is it? How is it that I can give such Good advice to everybody else, but I don't have an answer for my own disease. It's where we all live. Naaman was so powerful that he changed the fate of the nation of Syria, but he could not step, stop his his flesh from rotting off of his bones. You see, Naaman was a leper, and he was a leper in a time when there was no cure for leprosy. He was a leper in a time when if anybody, got even thought that he he had leprosy, he would be instantly removed from his family. He would be taken from, from his career. He would be taken from everything he knows. And they would stick him in colonies and in dens where they would infect each other with more leprosy and die more quickly. You see, leprosy destroys muscle tissue until the body parts simply just drop off. And Naaman tucked it all in under his magnificent armor. And we do the exact same thing, don't we? It was only when he went home, it was only when he went home that he took his armor off. And he took his armor off. And it's funny because you can cover it with your armor, but what do you do about your stink? What do you do about your foul smell? And you you can cover it for a lot, but you can't cover it indefinitely. And so he would take the armor off at night and his wife was there. But there was another person that saw his secret and it was a maid. It was the maid that he had kidnapped from the nation of Israel. Verse two says this, now bands of raiders from Syria had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. They kidnapped this girl. Now, I've got to tell you, as I read through this passage again and again and again, the more I read to it, the more this little girl becomes the centerpiece, in my mind, of this entire passage. This little girl is so pure at heart When she has every right to be bitter. She has every right to be vengeful towards Naaman, towards his army. After all, they stole her from her family. They stole her from her nation. They stole her from her native tongue and her language and they made her a slave. She has every right to be bitter. And she sees Naaman's rotting flesh. Nobody would blame her if she took a measure of joy knowing that this would kill him. But she doesn't do that. And you see this incredible spirit in her in verse 3. She said to her mistress, so she's talking to Naaman's wife. She said, I wish, oh, I wish my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. She actually cares about Naaman. It means a number of things. Naaman is a good man. And I got a sense that he was a kind man. He had favor with the king. He had favor with the people. And it's pretty obvious that even his slaves see him as a good man. And you sow good and you reap good. And you sow kindness and you reap kindness. And there must have been something in this man that this girl who is now a slave in his home wanted to reach out and help him. You see, she could have withheld what she knew. She could have withheld what she could do. But when you withhold what you can do, God withholds what he can do through you. But she did not withhold what she could do. And so God did not withhold what he could do. And what he did do was not only a great work in Naaman, but a great work in the nation of Syria. And we'll get to that. T.D. Jake said that you will, if you don't learn what it means to be merciful, you will never know what it means to be mighty. If you do not learn what it means to be merciful, you'll never know what it means to be mighty. Because this little girl's mercy unlocks Naaman's healing. But it doesn't just, her mercy doesn't just unlock Naaman's healing. Her mercy actually unlocks the nation of Syria to actually be exposed to the God of Israel. It's funny how God strategically places inside Naaman's household the very cure to his affliction. And in this way, this little servant girl, this little girl, this little girl has more power than the great commander, the great captain of the host. She has more power than him. But that's the kingdom way. That's what Jesus said when he said that a servant is greater than their master. And so the maid, the maid she, this little girl, she, she, she says to Naaman, there's a prophet, his name's Elisha, he's in Samaria. You know, if you go to him, I, I believe that he will heal you. There's something that happened inside of Naaman. He had, he had been in nothing but despair. He'd known nothing but despair since, since his, he discovered his own affliction. But now he had hope. And hope is powerful. Hope, is, hope will keep you alive. When everything around you is trying to kill you, hope will keep you alive. And, and, and hope was, was, was ignited in Naaman's heart. And so he goes to the king of Syria and he bets the farm on what this little girl said to him. And he says to the king of Syria, I'm a leper, but there is a healer in Samaria. Samaria. And I would like to go there and I would like to see if he could heal me. That brings us to verse 6. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. Because the king of Syria, Benadab II, he wrote a letter to the king of Israel on Naaman's behalf. Now as this letter comes to you, behold, I've sent Naaman my servant to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending a word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? See, the king of Israel has has just been whooped by the king of Syria, and he thinks the king of Syria is picking another fight, and this letter almost starts another war. And somehow, don't ask me how, without internet and without cell phones, Elisha picks up on this conversation somehow in the spirit, but he picks up on it, and he sends word to the king of Israel. He said, hey, send Naaman to me. I'll take care of this. I I got this for you. And I want you to see this thing. This is one of the major points in this narrative. Throughout the narrative, God is trying to get a message through to Naaman, and that is this. Your healing is going to be found only in your humility. And for some of you, your miracle is only going to be found in your humility. See, Naaman keeps going to kings. He talks to his his boss, talks to the king of Israel. But his healing is found with a servant girl. His healing is found with a maid and with a servant. And again and again, we find the people that are directing his life are not big, important people. They are servants. And God's leading Naaman to the doorway of his healing. And that doorway is called humility. And so Naaman goes down from Syria to Israel. And he goes down to the king. And from the king, he goes down to Elijah's house, to the prophet's house. And if his ego has not been beat up enough, he knocks on the door. And Elisha doesn't even answer the door. He sends his servant. He said, go tell him this. And the servant says to Elisha, I mean, Elisha's servant says to Naaman, all right, if you you, you want to be healed, this is what you're going to do. You and your posse, you and this, this entourage that you've come here with, I'll tell you what, you take yourselves and go down to the Jordan. And you take your majestic armor and you take your horse and you take your entourage and and, and you take your good name and you take your prestige. You take it down to to the dirty waters of the Jordan and you dunk yourself in the water of the Jordan seven times. And only then, only then will you be healed. Well, Naaman has had it. He's gone down just too many times and he thinks this is nonsense. This is ridiculous. I can't go down anymore. And he, in a rage, the Bible says, in a rage, he gets up and he's, he's going back to Syria. At least his pride is intact. At least he's got that. And he's walking back home when one of his own servants, here we go again, One of his own servants says to him, listen, if the guy would have asked you to do something difficult, would you have done it? And Naaman, he's fearless. He goes, absolutely. So he asks you to humble yourself. He asks you to humble yourself and you won't do it. Which means really at the end of the day, the only thing standing between you and your miracle is your pride. That's the only thing. And so Naaman goes to the rivers of the Jordan. You know, I was thinking about it so often. We, are, we care more about our, our image, don't we, than our deliverance. You know what, God doesn't really care about your image. He cares more about your deliverance. We are so worried what everybody's going to think. We are so consumed with, "What, what, what will they say about me? God doesn't care what they will say about you. He cares that you are free. And you know what? That's why he will do whatever it takes to wash you of the cancer that is in your soul, which is called pride. He will wash you. And I promise you, if you are proud and he is washing you, it really hurts for a really long time. But if you let go and let him wash you and you'll bow. And you will go down from Syria to to, to Israel. And you go down to the king of Israel. And you go down from the king to the prophet. And you will go down from the prophet to the Jordan. And then you will go down seven times. He'll deliver you. Pride is always the way down and humility. Is always the way... To honor. James 4 says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he'll lift you up in honor. And so finally, you know what the Bible says about Jesus? That he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, the Apostle Paul, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. And Naaman finally humbles himself and he becomes obedient. And he gets into the waters of the Jordan. And he dunks himself the first time. And he goes into the water sick. And he comes out of the water sick. He goes into the water the second time. Smelling of rotting flesh. And he comes up smelling of rotting flesh and rotting fish. And he goes down again. And he comes up and nothing. He goes down six times and absolutely nothing has happened. Did you know that six is the number of human effort? Six is the number of humanity. Six is the number of man. And when you've done everything you know to do, then there's number seven. And he goes down the seventh time. The seventh time he went down sick. And when he came up, he came up healed. He went down cursed. And he came up blessed. He went down tormented, and he came up free. And the scripture says his skin was like that of a child. It was that supple and pure. Not God had given him brand new skin. But I want you to see something. Naaman got a lot more than new skin. Naaman got a new heart. Because Naaman saw something he'd never seen before. He saw that Jehovah, the God of Israel, is the only God. And many many people will end the story right around this point. But I want you to, by the way, I'm going to invite Matt and the worship team to come up. There is something even more significant that happens in the big picture right here. You see, Naaman goes back to the prophet. And he declares to Elijah, he goes, I see it. Jehovah is the only God. And I want to go back to my nation. And I want to offer up a sacrifice. I want to worship Jehovah in Syria. And, and, and Naaman takes worship back to the nation of Syria. And the Syrians begin to see that there's a God in Israel who heals. Because that God healed their commander in chief. That God healed their hero. That God healed their warrior. That God healed Naaman. Can you see how when the the little girl, and this is how beautiful humility works. You see, the lower you go, the more room you make for God to go. The lower you go, the higher God goes. The quieter you get, the louder he gets. The less you become, the bigger he becomes. Now let me make this clear. Like God gave you a personality. Be that personality. Live large in that thing. Be large in who you are, but recognize that, that, that we walk before him in meekness and humility. And when you step into a situation and you, 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 you humble yourself, you've just created all of this space for God. And so when that little girl, she, she, she could see Naaman rot, and she humbles herself, and she extends mercy God moves into that picture, and he fills that picture. And you know what happens? Naaman's heart changes. Did you know you cannot change somebody else's heart? If somebody else hates you, they hate you. You, you, can, you can try and pay them. You do, if they hate you, they hate you. You cannot change another human heart, but you can humble yourself. And when you humble yourself before one another, you make room for grace to fill the room. You make room for God's love to fill in the room. You make room for presence in the room. You humble yourself. That little girl humbled herself. And then, you know what God wanted with Naaman? You know, it, it was his pride that filled the room in his life. And God wanted to fill the room in his life. And so he had to chop down the pride until Nathan bowed low enough. And when Nathan got low enough, and when Nathan got small enough, God filled the rest. God filled the rest. There's a treasure in your trouble. And you can't fix it right now. And maybe it's not yours to fix. Maybe there's so much human effort going into fixing your problem. And maybe you're just working at it and maybe you're just so fixated on the pain I wonder what it would look like for you to humble yourself and get low so that there's room for the Father to fill the rest. What would it look like for you to get low and surrender and make room for this presence of God to fill the rest? What is God trying to wash out of you? I know this. The doorway that God was trying to get Naaman to could only be found through humility. And I'm going to say to you right now, the doorway that the Father's leading you to is only found through humility. I'm going to read one verse, and then I'm going to pray for you. Micah 6, eight. You know, if I'd just read this verse, I could have saved the whole sermon. Micah 6.8. He has shown me what is good, what the Lord requires of us to do justice to love mercy and to walk humbly before God what do you need to what part of your life do you need God to fill up you need to humble yourself in that part of your life to make more room for him and that way you decrease so that he can increase I'm going to pray for you Father We are, we're frail and we're weak and stubborn. We are so stubborn. And Father, some of us, we we really, really do in this room. We can't get through the problem that we're on. And so I pray that you would show us what humility looks like as it relates to our trouble. And Father, I pray that we would take inspiration and encouragement from that little girl, from that beautiful little girl who did what she could do and made room for you to do what you could do. So Father, we humble ourselves before you And Lord, if you tell us what to do, if you direct us what to do, some came in here and, and there's friendships that are at stake here. And really at the end of the day, if you will, if you will put low, your, lower yourself, you'll make room for God to fill that and restore that relationship. Your pride's gotten you into trouble. There's no other way to say it except for just get off your horse. If Jesus had to humble himself and become obedient, if Paul humbled himself, if Naaman, what are you sitting on your horse for? Get off your horse and humble yourself. That was kind of a prayer preach, so I'm just going to say amen.